We've done a pretty good job of catching people just before they have to report back to their day job, and today's guest is uh, is no different. Uh, Chris Adamson, complex manager with the Philadelphia Phillies, about to jump on a plane on Monday and fly back to the US to uh, to get his uh, season started. Complex manager, does that mean you're the guy who manages the really hard things? Um, you could say that. Yeah. You could say that. As, yeah. Uh, yeah, guys at the start of their journey, essentially. So, I mean, that can be as hard as as they want to make it, but yeah, you know, no, it's a, it's a it's a great job to have, and you know, I'm really looking forward to getting back into it. So, you're oh, this is a very rough count. You're one of two Australians managing minor league teams in the US. Um, how does an Aussie bloke get a minor league manager job? And unpack your backstory for us, please. Yeah, that's a, a good question. My, my story is probably a little bit different to the, the more traditional guys. So as, as you mentioned, there's, there's only myself and one other. There's a couple of guys sprinkled around professional baseball, which is awesome. But yeah, my, mine was a little bit of a different journey in the sense that I, I didn't actually play affiliated baseball in the States at all. So I went through the college system as a player um, when, when that finished up. So I finished my degree, finished my uh, eligibility as a player, had the, had the opportunity to come down to Adelaide to to play in the ABL. So I played in the ABL for uh, about six years and from there pretty much transitioned right into coaching, which was, which was great. And it was a, you know, awesome opportunity for me to not only, you know, better myself, but just to stay around the game. I, I absolutely loved every second of it. And then it was pretty random to be honest with you. I was actually in, uh, in Japan at the premier tour with the Australian team. And I got a, got a text message from our farm director at the time at about midnight when I was over there and, I was actually with Andrew Graham, the other Australian manager at the time, funnily enough. And yeah, this this uh, farm director, Josh Bonifay, his name was, he uh, he just asked me if he could have a chat. And about 15 minutes in, I thought it sounded rather like an interview, which was, I wasn't necessarily planning that. The Phillies at the time were sending players down to Adelaide for, so I was going to manage them there. And I kind of thought it was going to be uh, more about that, but it sounded a bit like an interview. And then, you know, Six weeks down the track, and about nine interviews later, I got offered a job. So, yeah, a little bit unique, but yeah, definitely very thankful for the opportunity. So, how on earth did you get on his radar? <laughs> um, it's actually a really good question. I've been asked a lot, and that's probably one thing I maybe should have asked him. But again, I mean, to give you some context, prior to that, I'd done four. I'd been lucky enough to be invited to four spring trainings with the Texas Rangers. Um, so that we had a bit of a partnership with our team here in Adelaide and Texas at the time. So I got invited uh, one year. That was back in 2016. So I went over there for about a month and just, you know, went in there with two ears and one mouth and just tried to learn as much as I could. And I was lucky enough to be invited back three more times. So um, whether or not there was someone there that vouched for me and passed on my details, I'm, I'm really not too sure, to be honest with you. But, yeah, it was kind of random. But, yeah, it was a... It was a really cool experience, the whole interview process, and yeah, to be where I am now is yeah, I'm I'm extremely thankful for it. It must be a Phillies thing because I'm pretty sure Tyler told me that he went through about twelve interviews to get his job, which I always say to him it's because you weren't very good. It took him that long to figure it out, but um, yeah, it's a strange process when you go. But I suppose if it's something that's completely new to you, they you know they want everyone to take your pulse and make sure that. It, uh, that you're the right guy for the job. So we'll get back to the management side of things in a second. I'm always interested about Australian guys who end up in the US. How did you, how did college become a pathway for you? Where did, how did you get there and where'd you end up and, and how did you find that experience? Yeah, I mean, to, 
to start at the end, it was the, the best experience I've ever had in my life, like no question. The, the, the amount that I learned, not only about baseball, but just about myself as a person and just the world was immeasurable and, and there was just such an amazing opportunity. But um, I actually grew up in, in Sydney, so I came through and played on all the you know New South Wales junior teams and whatnot and came through the New South Wales Institute of Sport at the time, which was you know an awesome program and being surrounded by you know Olympic athletes in different sports was was amazing. Um, so I came through those programs, and at that time there was there was some pretty good conduits between Australia and not only professional baseball but also uh, the college system. So there was a guy Andre De Jardins, excuse me, um, that had a really big presence in New South Wales. He was a Canadian guy who had also coached in the um, in the collegiate system. So he had an unbelievable network and. Ended up going to a school, Clarendon College in, in the panhandle of Texas. So I was there for two years and then transferred to Angelo State University. But um, yeah, to get a call from Clarendon, a, a tiny town in West Texas when I was just a kid from the western suburbs of Sydney was, was pretty amazing. And it just came down to some coaches being able to vouch for me and there being that trust and that pipeline there in place. And yeah, just just very, very thankful. And it was one of the, one of the greatest opportunities I've ever had in my life. And yeah, unbelievably grateful for it. I hope you're, you didn't mention you had a child before we started the podcast. I hope your wife or partner's not listening to this where you're describing baseball as the best experience of your life. And uh, we, could, we can edit it out if you need me to. Just let me know through the podcast. Um, yeah, it's always interesting. <laughs> the, uh, the road people take to college. You know, uh, the other thing I like to ask people when they sort of land up in pro ball for the first time, and I'll, I'll ask you this about being a manager, and um, is like how different to was it? How different – to what you expected was it like I, you know a lot of people say well I thought I was ready then I got there and I clearly wasn't and we've had other people say no no I've, it met my expectations like were you ready for college baseball as an Australian guy landing there or um you know did you quickly realize I've got a lot of work to do to sort of fit in um I, I was lucky to to be surrounded by quite a few people who had been through even if they're only a couple of years ahead of me so I, I spent quite a bit of time on the phone and trying to pick their brain as much as I could but I mean, to answer your question, when you get there, you just your eyes are opened. So I think when I got to Clarendon, I want to say that first fall we had. So I was one of the bigger kids in the program at the time, and and the the shirts we just had a paint a practice t shirt that was given out, and they were done one being the smaller size, and they went up from there. And I think I had number eighty nine that first year, and there was a couple bigger than me. So there was close on a hundred kids that were there. Junior colleges, there wasn't too many limits on how many guys could be there and those types of things. So Straight away, it's just sheer weight of numbers. I was looking around going, holy crap. And then, you know, there, there's some times that when people are kind of vouching for themselves, there's some people that take some liberties in their own abilities. And I was, you know, pretty naive and trusting as an 18-year-old Australian and hearing some of these kids' abilities and what, what they were telling me that their abilities were anyway was, uh, I was like, there's no chance I'm ever going to get to play. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, they all throw harder than I've ever seen. They all hit further than I've ever seen and all that, everything in between. But eventually we had to go out in the field and I realised that some of them were not being completely genuine with how they wrote their own resume. But, um, but yeah, we ended up going out there and just, yeah, really having my eyes open to being thankful for some of the experiences in Australia. But just being, if nothing more than just the, the volume of games and practices and just living in that environment, something that you can't replicate in Australia and something that really opened my eyes to, you know, quote unquote, the grind and how difficult it can be in actually, you know, needing to maintain grades and those types of things, albeit, you know, junior college was fairly, um, 
I guess, manageable in terms of the workload. But, uh, yeah, just being on a field every single day and being and living in that environment was just something that you, you just can't really prepare yourself until you actually live in it. So that was probably the biggest thing for me. So just getting into the manage, managing side of things, like your, your experience as a manager was managing in the ABL and then all of a sudden here's the keys, you're now managing a professional team. A, surely that's a little bit daunting. And B, how do you figure out the like? To me, it's just mind blowing that you're you're getting you know you're at the highest level, getting paid to do it with Australian experience as your only experience doing it. Like, what was the learning curve there, and how did you figure out your way through? Or was it just sort of jump in and you know, just my personal as a manager, obviously most of it is is people management, I'm guessing. But how did you how did you navigate your way through that in the early days? Yeah, so it's definitely different, as you mentioned. You know, particularly in Australia, having that experience where you know, it's more of a winter ball setting for those North Americans where it almost reverts completely back to just win at all costs, you know, and not, not to say the minor leagues aren't like that, but there's a heavy emphasis on development of players as well, you know, so you might be rolling guys out there that are working on a specific pitch, for example. So, you know, results, whilst we're still looking for results, they're not at the forefront of your mind at all times. So that was something that took a little bit of adjusting to, um, but but ultimately, like, I remember thinking that on being on the flight over for the first time, just, you know, not being sure, like, how I would be received because I didn't have that resume that other people did. And I was pretty honest with myself about that. But on the flip side, I was also honest with myself in that, you know, I, I'd been lucky enough to be offered this job. So it, it must have been for a reason. So I had a little bit of self-belief there in terms of, you know, just try and be true to myself and who I am and, and some of my philosophies and principles as a not only a coach, but also as a person. So just trying to stay true to myself with that. And I think that will genuinely, you know, help to get the best out of the players. And, and, and really at the end of the day, whether you're coaching in Australia, you're coaching, you know, somewhere in Asia or professional baseball in the States, it's, well, ultimately we're just trying to get the best out of, you know, the kids that we're working with or the players that we're working with. So I just kept reminding myself of that. And then you start to have conversations with people that are substantially more credentialed than, than myself. And, and with that, you, you, it turns into a bit more of a level playing field. Like, it, without question, I can learn so much and can still learn so much from these individuals and just from being around the game. But ultimately, you know, I took a little bit of self-belief, but it was, you know, a little bit different. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, you know, the bases are still the same distance apart. Yeah, guys might throw a little bit harder, but it, it's the same game. So if I was reminding myself of that, I, I felt like I could empathise with the players a little bit that were, Essentially, struggling struggling to adjust to professional baseball with them being through college or high school or even coming from you know a country like Australia. So with that, I think it helped with empathy a little bit as well. So you know, they're invaluable learning moments for me, but uh, but something that I'm extremely grateful for. Okay, we're gonna go. We're gonna dive into baseball management for dummies here. So just brace yourself. What does a manager actually do? And there's I know that sounds stupid, but there's two parts to this question. So I'm interested in, particularly a modern day manager, what's a day in the life like? You know, you're not just rolling into the yard, hitting the spread, and then posting a lineup card. I'd be really interested to hear, you know, the the flow of information from the management of the club to you, and then what you have to send back, and how you how that all sort of fits into a day, rolling into game management, and then readiness for the next day. And it is a bit, it is a bit. Um, baseball manager for dummies, but it's also kind of a little bit of nerd corner here as well because I don't know that everyone understands the nuances of what 
the job entails? And then I'll get to the second question uh, in a moment, but I'm really interested to see what goes into to a day. Yeah, it's a, they're, they're pretty lengthy, and that was one thing. I've, I've been asked that quite a bit, and it's, you know, it's an unbelievable job. It's a definitely a really big job, though. So to answer your question, if we were to start, so that when we were last year, I, I was in, um, in high A managing there. So, you know, that was our schedule for the most part. We played Tuesday through Sunday. So on a regular Tuesday, I would rock up to the field probably about 11 or 11.30 in the morning. And by that stage, I will have already posted, you know, my schedule, which had the lineup on it. But um, so the schedule itself, though, would consist of essentially a, a rotation where guys would do numerous full practices before we actually start with our team practice or our batting practice and those types of things. So they would go through a rotation which consisted of lifting. So at home, they would lift four days a week. They would do their individual routines and their, you know, individualized specific batting practice. And then from there, there would be defensive rotation. So working, you know, with infielders, outfielders, catchers, and and even pitchers to a degree uh, with that. And all of that was completed before we went out, out on the field for a team stretch and before batting practice started. And we did more of the token baseball stuff that people will have seen when they arrive, you know, pre-game and they see guys moving around on the field. So there was, there was all of that aspect. And then after the game consisted of reporting everything that happened in the game. So myself, from a management perspective, there was, you know, reporting on the game itself and looking after any specific areas. But, you know, highlighting, you know, any potential areas of concern, things that people did well, not so well. And then it's constant lines of communication between, you know, your superiors, so your farm directors or your field coordinators, just with how guys are going and, you know, do we need to get guys more work at certain positions or more innings in specific situations and a number of different things like that. Because ultimately that's when it reverts back purely to the player development aspect where we can just sit there and make sure that we're getting this player as prepared as they can be to, to go and have an impact in the big leagues ultimately. So at times there's numerous steps between where they are and, and the big leagues, but ultimately we're preparing them to go and have success in Philadelphia in this case. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. and But I guess from a management perspective, when it gets into the in-game, there's not too much. It's not like, you know, there's people up above that are pulling the strings for you. You still, once you go out there, we're still doing all we can to give ourselves the best chance of winning on that particular night, which is something that, that I really love. And there's times that, you know, there's challenges. Guys will go down hurt or someone gets hit by a pitch in the second inning and you've got to piece it together and all of those different types of things. But ultimately, it's just trying to figure out not only with myself and the rest of my staff, but also, you know, the people above and, and all of the people around us that how can we best give this particular individual a chance of success on not only that night and on a nightly basis, but, you know, day in, day out, keeping them on the field, keeping them having the best chance of actually having some success from a results standpoint. So it's a, it was an unbelievable job. It was something that, yeah, it was an amazing experience and something I'm really, really thankful for. But, yeah, there's probably a lot more behind the scenes than people actually realise. It's, and so to keep chipping away at that, like we, we had an independent league manager on uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and he'd been a um, former professional um, affiliated manager and, and had coached the Division One level and, and and he kind of alluded to what you alluded to when you were coaching the ABL, which is in the independent ball, we're just out here to win. And it was interesting just picking apart, like as he said, he would have 
in affiliated ball, these are the pitch counts, this is what we want to see people do, this is the lineup we would like to see. Like, do you do you get guidance on what positional players need to be getting more time or, or is that left to the manager to figure that out or it's a sort of combined approach? Yeah, it is a bit of a combined approach. You know, there, there are obviously, as is the case in life, there, there might be some guys in, in certain instances that might be, a, you know, a higher priority guys for lack of a better term, but... <laughs> Um, generally, with how it worked, particularly last year coming off the back of COVID, it was ev- everyone on our roster, particularly from a position player standpoint, they played a lot. You know, we, we had a rotation round where I'd mix in off days for those that needed it, and there were some scheduled off days, so it wasn't necessarily for just when when they were hurting. It was when they're, you know, we're, we're trying to just maximise them so they can stay fresh and, and keep going well deep into September, you know, and some of those guys ended up playing in, in, in the fall, Arizona Fall League, which went into late into November, you know. So some of that stuff is, is scheduled, but then there's, you know, there's the baseball element too, as I mentioned before, where there's, you know, there's, sometimes stuff happens that's out of your control and you do need to manage it. So, I mean, to answer your question, it's a bit of a, a, a mixed approach, but, and there's a little bit of guidance, but it's not by any stretch where they go, these guys have to play, this is the order they have to hit or anything like that. So there's a little bit of freedom and autonomy, which is great. Um, and, and that also just helps me with, you know, my ability to communicate with the players, whether it's, you know, letting them know that there's an off day coming or someone that might not be playing a whole hell of a lot at a certain time and just letting them know that, hey, you're going to get your chance on this day, make sure you're ready. Or So, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a blended approach, but it's something that, I think my experience in Australia, we reverted back there, was it was really good. And one of the things that was, for me, so good about it was when I first took over managing the, the Giants here in Australia, we, we were awful. So we, we'd, we'd been off the back of a whole lot of success, and I'd been with the team for 11 years now. So I'd been through those waves of success, which was great. And then there was a turnover of players. So we, we knew that we were going to be on the younger side. So... It, it was almost a bit of a blended approach in, in Australia at that point where I was fairly realistic with where we were as a collective. And I was like, okay, where, where, when I'm setting my own goalposts is, you know, winning the championship, is that completely realistic? You know, so we went through that. And then, so we, we almost went down a little bit more of a development route before we needed to and ended up being like, we were terrible. We we're the worst team in the history of the league. But the amount I learned that year was, was immeasurable just in terms of how to be consistent, you know, with myself, how to be consistent with the way that I'm communicating, how to, you know, try and be able to separate not only different parts of my life, but also, you know, different parts of the game and, and what goals and goalposts are we actually setting for myself and our, and our guys, whether it be staff members or, or teammates to actually, you know, really get the best out of us long term. So all of those things are, are stuff that, yeah, so, such great learning opportunities, and it's and it just further instilled in me that you don't only have to have success to be able to learn. It's a lot of the time it's completely reversed, right? So if we're, you know, not having success, we should be learning, and that and that was a great example of that. Just um, you, you, more and more players are taking; um, they're just more invested. In, and sorry, they probably didn't come across the right way. I think professional baseball players have always been invested, but players have access to more information and therefore can try new things, different training programs, different approaches. And, you know, traditional BP was a coach kind of just rolling it over and guys teeing off. And, um, you know, we're seeing more 
pitching machine, high velocity, how do you incorporate as a manager a player who may be interested in, you know, I just want to see velocity off a machine and that's mine. You know, is, there a, is there a blended approach where you can allow players to do the, the, those elements or is the organisation saying, no, no, this is how we're going to do the pre-game side of things? How do you, how do you work that in? No, it's a, a lot of it is is conversation based. So obviously there, there's some parameters and some things that they want to meet. You know, it might be you know we want to hit off the machine a certain amount of times per week or whatever it might be. But as I mentioned before, and what the day looks like, there's multiple times that those individuals will hit. So there's the individualized stuff, and then there's the team batting practice, and then usually after batting practice, right before the game, is where we'll try and simulate again something that they're going to go and see in a game, whether it be velocity or a you know, firm breaking ball or whatever it is. So with that, it's a, it's a communication but in a number of different directions. So we'll obviously be talking with our, you know, farm directors, field coordinators and hitting coordinators in particular, just about, you know, what people want. But also I, w- I was really cognizant of, of having our players and our hitters in this case be as comfortable and confident going into a game as possible. So they understood that there's times that you need to get out of your comfort zone, but then also... I wanted them to still get in the box, you know, before the game, not feeling like, man, all I did just then was hit six balls off my knuckles in the cage and now I've got to go out there and try and compete, you know. So having that line of communication and trying to get people to feel comfortable in coming to me and if it was something that they didn't like, I, I, I love when players ask why and I try and get young players, even this year with the Giants, we had a lot of really young guys and I tried to really push with them if they don't understand something or they, they want to know why for something, to ask. You know, because there, there was a lot of times that people, you know, I just didn't want to have people in the background going, oh, this is, you know, I don't like doing this and I don't feel prepared and blah, blah, blah. Having that being said in the background, but people not having the, the comfort to be able to come and say that to me so we can actually talk through it and hopefully find, um, you know, a way of maximising the work that they're actually getting leading into a game. So that was something that was really important to me and and something again that that i hoped that the players felt comfortable in doing so that ultimately they could go out and and try and have as much success in what is a very 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 hard game i guess that this that element or that response dovetails nicely into where i wanted to go next which is the 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 people management element of being a manager and um i'm correct me if i'm wrong roster size is nearly 25 players that's 25 personalities you need to manage. That's 25 people who are all, you know, scrapping to try and get to the next level. How how did your personality, personality naturally align itself to this type of role? And, and maybe it didn't and it was something you had to develop. And and I guess what are the challenges in just from a people management point of view? Because you don't want to be the rah-rah guy pumping up everyone every day. And on the other hand, you, you know, the old school management approach of just tearing people a new one just doesn't work anymore. So, uh, yeah, I'm sort of interested to know were you predisposed to doing this type of thing? And obviously Australians in a different culture with the accent, it's all, I always found it was a little bit of a disarming thing in the first instance. But, yeah, how, what percentage of your time, what are the challenges in the people management side of things? Yeah, I mean, that was that, that's like one of my favourite things, not just in coaching but, you know, just in life. I love, you know, b- building relationships with people and just getting to know people because we're – particularly in that environment, we're in such different, we're, we're from all different parts of the world, but, you know, different parts of their careers and where they're at and all these different things. So the, the, the people management thing was something that was, was absolutely one of the biggest, I don't want to say challenges, but 
it was just something that was, you know, so evident because ultimately you're, you're doing it day in, day out. You're seeing these people every single day for, you know, seven or eight months. That's what it turned into. So trying to get to know them as people was something that, that I was really big on. I, I did a few things. So as you mentioned, being Australian, that that's a bit of a talking point straight off the bat. But, you know, I, I did some little things that, you know, I picked up over the time, some time in college, you know, like I kind of tweaked some, almost drinking games that I would play in college, you know, we'd do some stuff and one, an example, an example of that. So, you know, so one of the drinking games we used to play was two truths and a lie. So where you give, you give up some information about yourself, two of them being true and one of them being a lie. So I, uh, so usually, you know, the end result, if you, if you, if you got it wrong, you had to drink, obviously that wasn't the case, but you know, during stretch each day and I, I started it. And the, the reason I started it, it was about a month into the season, maybe a little bit less. And I just noticed that there was a lot of guys, you know, communicating, but it was very one-dimensional in the way that they were communicating. And what I mean by that is they were only ever talking about baseball, which was great. It meant they loved it. You know, they were invested, all of that kind of stuff. But there, there wasn't as much chat or knowledge about, you know, the players themselves as individuals, you know. There were some guys that they'd sat next to someone in a locker for six months and like the previous season, but didn't know, you know, what their kid's name was or didn't know, you know, the, the hometown that they were from or didn't know what their wife's name was and those types of things. And that was a little bit alarming to me. So, so I started it and, you know, laid out three things about myself and, you know, just went from there. And then, you know, I got one of the people that I, I'd already known, you know, they went next. And then each day, so by, at that stage, we had about 30 guys in our roster. So every day for the next month, we got to know more about one of the people that were on the team, which was something that was, it was a really interesting process with, with how much people actually gave. And, but then all of a sudden conversations just sparked because there was a lot of like, oh, I didn't know that about you. Like my dad did that or, you know, different things like that. So I thought that was just something, again, it's kind of a derived from something that's not necessarily directly linked with athletics, but um, yeah, that drinking game really helped me and, and helped the guys get to know one another. So, you know, that was cool. But even just another one I did was I had a word of the day last year. So being Australian, we we sound a little bit different, but some of our vernacular is a little bit different as well, you know. Like some of our more colloquial terms, I would write that on a board and I would, you know, write what the term was, how that translated for the English speakers, so the American kids, and then what that word meant in, in Spanish. So we'd go through and they were learning, you know, a little bit about how I speak, you know, and they would also be able to potentially mix it in in their own conversations with their own, you know, people of their own background. So, you know, just those little things I thought were just just little and, and absolutely gimmicky, don't get me wrong, but it was just something that if there was something that could get these people to start to pay attention to who's sitting next to them as more than just as a baseball player, I think that was just something from a relationship standpoint that it was going to have a, a whole lot of benefit, but it's something that I think is the number one thing on the planet is just people and trying to manage the different, you know, behavioral styles and, and the way that people just communicate. And I think that helped to ex- expedite that process a little bit. How do you say Dunny in Spanish then? Baño. Oh, there you go. Yeah, well there you go. So that was that was one of the first ones early on in the piece. Oh yeah, I was. I, so, I probably that was a bit of a layup for you. I should have come up with something a bit tougher, but uh, no. That's I might have to, I've actually got a spreadsheet on my computer that has. So we played 119 games this year, so there's 119 words, 
um, in Australian, how they translated in Americano and Espanol. <laughs> so you'll uh, so, if you've got with the complex, you've got all the new players, so you can just roll them all out again, same material, different usage. It's uh, that's I think fun. I'm going to have to, yeah, it's pretty much trilingual at this point. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the the complex role, um, so you were doing, um, uh, you know, you, you in affiliated baseball, you obviously guess low A, high A, double A, triple A, and then you've gone back to the complex, which is the entry level. Many people would see that as, well, hang on, did I do something wrong? I've been demoted. But I guess there's a different level of perspective when you're managing those, the, the newest wave of talents coming through. So what does that role look like and how does it differ from a sort of, uh, you know, a longer season management role? Yeah, so obviously, you know, straight off the bat, as you mentioned, they're, they're younger. A lot of the people, it's their very first taste of professional baseball. So, you know, there's a lot of responsibility on on, on my behalf and all of the staff around us to try and, you know, set set the tone or set the expectations early, you know. So exactly as you said, so going down in levels, that, and there's two ways that you can take it, but ultimately, you know, that we, we really see with, with the Phillies anyway that, you know, that I don't want to say grassroots, but that entry-level taste of professional baseball is what sets the foundation for them to continue to move forward. So they're there's been a few changes this year with guys, Tyler being one of them. He'll be down there um, with me as well. They're, we're essentially going to have, you know, a pretty large footprint, which can it can be a little bit daunting at times because there's some, you know, people coming from all different backgrounds and their first taste is going to be with us. So it's something that's it's a, it's a real honour, to be honest. And it's going to be just really cool to see a lot of these kids that come, come out of wherever they're from, whether it's Latin America or Australia or Asia or, you know, the the Midwest and the United States and to see them begin their journey and just see them continue to thrive in that environment. So it's something that I'm really looking forward to and it's something that it's going to be a great challenge, but something that I think Australia has absolutely prepared me for in that regard as well, you know, where we there is a little bit more of the coaching that might have to happen here, particularly in the in the younger space, but, uh, but yeah, just something that I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky for the opportunity. So the, the complex roles, the... Oh, and once again, correct me if I'm wrong, the the college guys tend to not always spend a lot of time at that level. Am I right in assuming that you get the high school guys and the really raw talent coming through, so guys who can have some real tools but may not always know where it's going or how to harness it? So that is this is it is there more coaching involved at this level or what you know, how does the manager role blend with the coach role in, in this capacity? Yeah, I mean, if you were to completely generalise it, I would say, yeah, there's probably, and again, having not experienced it um, from a full season, it's, it's hard for me to completely say, but yeah, I would, you you would presume that there's going to be more coaching involved, exactly as you said. So the game management's still going to be present, but there's just going to be a lot more of the teaching moments, you know, which is which is something that I really like. I've always loved coaching and you know some of the finer points of the game. If we can start to, to teach some of these kids some of those points, early on in the piece, then hopefully, you know, as they grow and continue to not only grow physically and and with, with their skill set, but just in their understanding of the game, I think that's something that's just going to be really, really important. Because, yeah, the college guide's a little bit different now with the minor leagues having less levels. So there used to be short season where pretty much all the college guys would go there at a minimum. Now, with there not being a short season level, so across the board, they might 
be in, in rookie ball for a little bit longer or some of them that are a little bit more polished might actually skip it altogether. So it's going to be a bit of a mix. You know, you might have a 23-year-old college guy on the same team as a 17-year-old Venezuelan. So all of those different things. And I think that's just where if we continue to, to, to build on those relationships, as I was speaking about before, in addition to actually learning the game together, I think, you know, it can be a really cool environment to be a part of. So it's going to be going to be interesting and yes there's going to be more coaching for sure but yeah something that i'm really looking forward to so i think it's probably time to pick apart or really dive into the australian side of things here as a as a guy who manages in australia manages in the u.s like where are the gaps in australian baseball and what are what are some of the easy fixes for us i'm sure you've sat back with a an adult beverage and, and reflected on you know what could we do um differently to get more people into college baseball or professional baseball like where do you see the gaps and what what do we need to do to fix it yeah there's and that's a it's a good question it's something that as you mentioned we've talked about for a long time and i was lucky enough to be i worked with baseball south australia for for three years prior to that role i have now and i was was doing the high performance stuff there so got you know a pretty good experience as to to what it looks like down there from a coaching perspective and you know, one thing that probably jumped out straight off straight off the bat, you know, when you get to spring training, it's just like the physicality, you know. So I know you've talked about it on this podcast before, but just how much more physical a lot of these kids are as soon as you, you get to a program. So, you know, you get to the complex and you've got a bunch of guys in rookie ball, but they, some of these kids have come through high school programs that they started lifting weights when they were 14, 15 years old, you know. So, and we've had some Australian kids that, you know, might have been dabbling in different sports, which I'm completely a fan of and, you know, just building athleticism. But then there comes a point that you need to really invest in yourself from a physical standpoint and, you know, just trying to be a bit more physical, not only in the way that we appear, but, you know, improving bat speed from a you know, offensive standpoint or, you know, improving velocity from a pitching standpoint, you know. So one thing I think Australia does a great job of is actually – teaching some of the finer points of the game. I feel like a lot of our Australian kids that go over there actually have a pretty good intrinsic knowledge of baseball and understanding the game. And I think that comes from, you know, anyone that's half decent in Australia goes and plays seniors a lot earlier. You know, so you're playing with men. I remember when I was coming up in Sydney, I was playing for Borkham Hills, so and they were a really strong club, still are. And at the time, you know, there were guys that, you know, they were still in pro ball, they're trying to auctions and those guys. And, and, and just you're playing with them from the age of, you know, 16 years old in, in my case. And, and just being around them and just hearing the way they speak about the game, it's like it, you almost learn organically. And I think that's where Australians are in a great spot, but we probably do lack in just terms of the, the physicality, you know, like we don't throw as hard as just purely because we haven't just grown up throwing baseballs our whole life. We haven't been a, you know, kid in the Dominican Republic that all he's done is throwing a baseball as hard as he could every single day of his life. You know, whereas on the flip side, if we I've got a Sharon over there, and if we throw, you know, the Sharon to a couple of those guys and say kick it as far as you can, it's it's <laughs> nothing too impressive, mm. to to put it politely. You know, so I think it's environmental to a degree, but I would say if there was one thing, I think physicality is a big thing, and how we actually prioritise the way in which we're training um, is something that I think we can really improve on as well. And I think being more physical um, and building more you know showcaseable tools i think is something that that's really important in addition to also understanding how to how to play the game i think that's the other bit that 
the physicality piece is mentioned, but it's also that um, the physicality that allows players to manage the day to day. Like in Australia, you don't get you don't play every day, so there's also there's that physicality piece in getting bigger and stronger, but it's also allowing your your body to play baseball every single day. And I think when you chat to Australian people who come back from professional baseball, they're like, I just like every day, it's it's rinse and repeat. You've, it's fatiguing and it's hard. And you know, if you're not ready for that, that can be a bit that really kind of grinds you down because your body just fatigues. Obviously, then you get injured and and it just can start a spiral. So it's not just enhancing your tools; it's also preparing you for the long run, which can be um, can be challenging. Um, the other part, I suppose, I had is, <clears throat> and and I, <clears throat> I don't even know if there's an answer to this, but. How do you see, like, how do Australian guys typically fit into a clubhouse? Like, you hear lots of stories about there being pretty good culture guys and whatnot, but is that normally an easy transition or is it a different case for everyone? Because obviously you've managed Australian guys on your on your clubs. Yeah, I think it is obviously a case-by-case thing, but I think, you know, kind of what I was mentioning before, and, and a lot of the Australian guys being around older players, mm. straight off the bat, I think that helps them, you know, in having a little bit thicker skin. You know, one thing that I think, at times, you know, there might be some insecurities with, with some of the Australian guys because literally when you go there and you look around and go, man, all of these guys, you know, they're bigger, stronger, throw harder, all those different things, whether it's in college or pro ball or whatever, you know, and then how you actually channel that. Insecurity is probably the wrong word, but how you how you channel that, you know, almost like getting your reality shaken a little bit, you know. So all, all the Australians that I've had there, you know, out, outstanding in, in terms of, yeah, the the clubhouse environment, you know, and, and it's, and it's really cool to have those guys and, you know, but, um, and I think with myself being over there, it might help for some of those, you know, American or Latin guys to maybe understand the players a little bit more seeing that, Oh yeah, we're all kind of clowns to a degree, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's something that they've been awesome to be around and, and something that I'm really, really thankful for. And the Phillies have a, you know, pretty big presence in Australia, which is great. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of it just comes from them being used to being a little bit uncomfortable before, you know, like if you go into a locker room when you're 16 and you're playing with guys that are 35, then that, that can be an uncomfortable and almost daunting experience. So Australians potentially have been exposed to that a little bit sooner, so it can help them in that space. And, and maybe that can be just one less thing that they have to adjust to when they get into those environments. I did find that, um, I don't tell many stories about myself because most of them aren't very good, but um I did find that interesting when I was in college. I, because you know, playing club ball here, you'd you play a game, you hit the sheds, you'd have a shower, have a beer, and talk about the game and, and whatnot. And I just found that eye opening in college. You definitely just vanished, and you'd be like, "Well, when when do we have a beer?" And they were just they, they just obviously everyone was younger, but that that piece is missing. And I think you're right. I think it's, I hadn't really thought about that, but Australians are used to being in the clubhouse and talking about the night before and talking about the day and, and, you know, having a drink and that sort of camaraderie piece and giving each other a hard time. So I think that's why, you know, Australians are typically good clubhouse presences because you just grow up used to that type of stuff. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting spin on that. Um, no, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, and that's like with me from a managing perspective, I, I want to do my best to create an environment that people want to be around, you know? So it's not an environment that people do just want to play the game and get out of there, you know? I love – there's nothing more that I love than seeing guys, you know, that rock up early and they just like – they rock up early because they just want to be around the field and be there with their teammates. So I think that's something that, you know, is, is environmental to a degree. You know, they're probably there because they love the sport and that, but they enjoy being there, 
you know, and seeing it, you know, every single day for, you know, the last few years. It's something, you know, that it's not always the case with people. And, and I can use that as a bit of a, a measuring stick with maybe where they're at. You know, they, you might see them rocking up later and later. They're still on time, you know, but they used to be someone that was rocking up at, you know, 12 o'clock. But now they're rocking up at, you know, 12.45, 1 o'clock for a one thirty report or whatever it is, you know, and, and, and just using that as something that, oh, maybe something's not quite right with those people. So for me, that's why I'm so conscious of trying to create a clubhouse environment, just an environment in general that people actually enjoy being around and want to be around. So, so that's something, as you said, like, you know, after club ball and having a beer back in Australia, that that's still some of my favourite stuff. That's why I love the ABL. I love going in there and, you know, you're either, you know, dissecting a tough loss or, you know, you're celebrating a good win, but you're just around like-minded people that truly, you know, you, you have the same goals. So I just think that's something that's, that's huge. And that's why a lot of the imports, if we flip it over, that come to Australia love it so mm-hmm. much, you know, because it, it goes into that environment. Like we've, we've had guys that have, you know, they're, they're in the big leagues right now and they talk about, you know, playing for Australia and, you know, Adelaide in, in, in our experience and, and how it's been like the greatest thing they've done in baseball. And, and for me, that's just, you know, that's just so awesome for Australian baseball that we've created something that people thoroughly enjoy being around. Yeah, it is. It is really is. Um, speaking of the ABL, and I've had you for a little while now, and I'm sure you've got things you need to do in order to pack up and get out of Australia in the next couple of days, but... Like, what's the state of play with the ABL? Like, are we? Do you think we'll be back up and running next year with a full season? Obviously, West Australia is about to open up, so that's sort of every border um, Australia completely available. What's your take on that? And do you think the ABL can survive this sort of two-year gap that we've had? Um, ho- hopefully so. Um, to be honest, though, I thought um, this year would be pretty much back to normal. So, you know, I was. I don't know if naive is the right word, but I was less, kind of a little bit misguided in that. Obviously, there was different setbacks and things in between, you know, when decisions were made and things like that. But um, I, I hope we can come back from it. And hopefully, you know, with Perth being open again and, and essentially the borders being opened as much as they can be for vaccinated people at least, I think, you know, that, that conduit between the states or those international countries anyway and the ABL can be reopened, hopefully. So, um it's going to be it's going to be really interesting, and and this year we we were lucky enough we got to play about twenty odd games, which was which was awesome. And a lot of the these really young guys, or you know, guys that have kind of been on the fringe a little bit, got got some opportunities, and some guys did an outstanding job. So from that, I hope that continued with the interest from the local based people, you know, um, and then hopefully next year, you know, if some imports come back out, no matter how many it is, if it's four, is it eight, twelve, whatever. You know, hopefully then those people that kind of come to support that side of things, hopefully they get back on board and hopefully we end up back almost almost where we were, if not potentially a little bit stronger. But it, it's a, no doubt it's been a setback, you know, having, you know, nothing really normal for a couple of years now. So fingers crossed. But there, there's a lot of upside with Australian baseball. We've got some big events coming up. We're still working towards the Olympics in 2028. We've got a lot of kids in college right now. It's some pretty nice programs and, you know, some other guys in pro ball. So... There's a lot of upside, but again, we, we just need to create an environment from a nationwide perspective and then, you know, state by state that we can actually, you know, create something that people want to come back and be around, whether it be from a supporter standpoint, you know, the local players wanting to come back and play in the league because they see it as something that can help them or, you know, the, the imports coming out again. So 
um, I know that was a pretty, you know, on the fence response, but you know, it's hard to speculate. But I, I just really hope so because I, I, I truly believe in the ABL and I love it. Like it's been a, a huge part of my, my, who I am as a, as a professional and a person, you know. So I, I hope it gets back to normal, and I hope you know we get to, you know, going into battle with Perth again because that's some of the most fun that I've ever had in the baseball field and some of those battles over the last decade. So fingers crossed. Well, we appreciate your time. Thanks very much for. Uh coming on and sharing some of your insights and uh, all the best for the travel back to the states and the the season ahead thank you and uh, and good luck thanks very much thanks for having me